Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Om Shanti everyone, welcome. Good evening. I'm really excited about today's special segment and special guest, Gina Belafonte. Remember her dad, Harry Belafonte? I used to love that song when I was a little girl growing up. Anyway, so I'm going to be getting her on shortly, and we're going to be talking about life and social issues and just how we've actually navigated during these particular times, and I'm looking very forward to our time together. But also, it being Black History Month, are you aware that America Meditating Radio on Spotify, which is a podcast, has a wonderful playlist for BHM? It'll feature a lot of the interviews that I've done with iconic, incredible voices of African descent. You'll even hear Whoopi Goldberg, Nikki Giovanni, Dr. Clarence B. Jones, and so many more, so many folks, as we continue to honor this particular month. But it's not just month, it's the rest of our lives. You don't need to be a particular color in life to be deemed intelligent or to be honored. We were born to be honored black, white, Chinese, Indian, Jew, whatever, you're born that way. But if certain systems or certain cultures deem it that you're not good enough to be valued and good education is taken away from you, opportunities are taken away from you, then of course life is going to be hard and of course it's going to feel like you're being pushed in a corner and that life is tough. And then if everybody sees that, that's what they think. They might think that a particular culture is lower than others, but it's not. It's never been that way. That's all man-made. But at a spiritual higher level, nobody's less, nobody's more. If your character is flawed and you are all caught up in algae, which is an acronym that I use regularly, anger, lust, greed, attachment, and ego, then there's a problem. And the reason why we're seeing so much tension and issues in the world is because of algae, not because of the color of your skin, not because of your religion, not because of your language. It's because of the intention inside of your personality. What I love about the next normal is about inspiring you to move away from algae consciousness. And through our conversations or our special guests or our times together, it's about bringing the true essence of the soul forward. So let me know what you think about the show, feel free to give it a like, share it. I think you're going to love the conversation. So let me give you an idea of Gina, if you don't know about her. She's a native New Yorker, and she has spent her life in the arenas of entertainment and activism, where her professional work thrives today. She is the executive director of Sankofa.org. It's a social justice organization that enlists the support of today's most celebrated artists and influential individuals in collaboration with grassroots partners to elevate the voices of disenfranchised and to promote peace, justice, and equality. 
Gina has lectured and spoken at many events, rallies, marches, issues ranging from dyslexia, nonviolent direct action, black women's empowerment, mass incarceration, so much more. An artivist actress, director and producer, Gina has been a part of many arts and activism initiatives, including being the lead producer of the award-winning documentary, Sing Your Song, that explores the life and legacy of her father, Harry Belafonte, the director of the award-winning hip-hop spoken word musical lyrics from lockdown, addressing mistaken identity, mass incarceration, and also police brutality. Gina is the proud producer of the Many Rivers to Cross Social Justice Arts and Music Festival that brought together over 40 artists and 50 social justice organizations for a two-day festival centering on voting rights, mass incarceration, and poverty. She has collaborated with Four Freedoms and the 50 State Initiatives and the reimagining of Norman Rockwell's Four Freedom into Action and More. All right, everyone, I am so excited and thrilled to be welcoming Gina Belafonte. You've gotten her bio, so you have an idea of how extensive her work has been on the world stage. And nowadays, you know, we need to hear these voices more and more, and we need to also have intimate, engaging conversations to help us to learn more about our own lives. So Gina, big heartfelt welcome. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for taking the time to be with us on air. Thank you for having me. Now, you've got a tremendous narrative, and I'm sure you don't sit at home or walk around thinking how great you are. But just in essence, I would love if you could just share with our incredible audience just a little bit about what is it that moves you? What seems to be the main catalyst to drive you in terms of the work and service that you've been doing all these years? Well, I think that what drives me to do the work now is different perhaps than what drove me when I got started. Or they might be the same, just that my consciousness level has shifted as I've gotten older. But I have a lot of feelings around inequity and suffering. And I feel that I have healing opportunities and healing capabilities. And so I use myself with all of who I am to be of service to the community, to bring healing and opportunity for growth. And I guess for people to discover their own agency, um, their own opportunity to be of service to themselves and their community. So I think that's what drives me. Love drives me. Big one, right? I mean, it's got Mm -hmm. to be that love. You know, sometimes when you're raised in a family that's very powerful or is well known and you've been exposed to so many iconic and profound people, how has that impacted you? Or was that just your norm, you know, hanging out with John Lewis or with your dad or all the incredible individuals historically? I mean, what was that like? Well, in my household, I'm the youngest. And so I have learned to lean into listening. And in the days, you know, being surrounded in my home by so many incredible artists and leaders, it was just part of what was happening around the house. There wasn't this notion that I should be listening any differently than I would on any other given day doing any other given thing. But I think that in retrospect, the sponge that collected the pearls and drops of wisdom, I have become to 
realize them so consciously in my adult life and in the work that I do and in, in the way I walk through the world. So I feel humbled and blessed to have incarnated into this particular life that I'm in. And I feel a tremendous amount of gratitude to have been able to be exposed to some of the incredible hearts and minds that I've been exposed to. I like how you use the word incarnated in this particular family or life, because some of us question the whole notion of incarnation and how do we actually get reincarnated or what is the relationship between the life that I'm living and the karmas of my past? And so as we're looking at the world changing so much in the United States is happening, um, is there something that you're feeling karmically that you learned so much from your parents growing up? Absolutely. I think my parents have taught me so much and have helped sculpt who I am today by me observing not only what I thought they did that was of service and was good for me to learn, but also what I believe I can let go of that they brought into the world that they, in their lifetimes, have been, I think, struggling to heal for themselves. And so, you know, I kind of feel like we have an opportunity in each lifetime to not only be of service, but to heal past regressions or past incarnations, whether we were healers in a past life or whether we were perpetrators of evil. I think we have an opportunity to recognize and to heal what comes up for us in this life and to do our best to have a deeper relationship with ourselves, to understand why we do what we do or why we feel what we feel. Many clues come to us as we unpack our early childhood education and our early childhood environment. And then as we become adults, have an opportunity to sculpt and grow and heal that which we did not receive or that which we did receive that needs to be healed. And it's not always easy. I mean, being human is exactly that. So we're not always conscious and there's always unconscious biases or unconscious feelings and things that sometimes surface and they just keep sort of poking at us. And I think that we have an opportunity to lean into listening to that and to ask ourselves, like, why does this keep happening to me? What is it that I'm creating or attracting that this keeps happening, good or bad, or I don't know if it's bad, but good or uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, even in tragedy, there's great hope and opportunity. And I think that each day I do my best to walk through the world with intention and purpose and love and also forgiveness and recognize that I'm human and I'm always open to learning more how I have maybe gone off a path of intention and love to deepen my own growth. Sense of self, and yeah. Exactly. I don't know, have you been feeling the same as I have? Prior to the pandemic, I was physically moving around and I've been to 97 countries or something by now. And my least favorite country that I used to visit, and people might not like to hear me say that, but it has been India. And can I tell you something, Gina? For the last three months, I'm bawling, needing to go back to India. 
and I'm going, where's this memory coming from? What's happening to me? There's a healing that's taking place. And what I'm noticing is that with all these months of not physically being so distracted because you're always in action, I'm journeying inwards in places that I had not known needed my attention. And now I'm recognizing this incredible sense of love, but also loss of my mm. connection to India and my Indian people, being half Indian, half Jamaican. I've never really taken sides to say, well, I'm Indian, I'm black, I'm a soul. I'm having an experience here. And that's what's important right. to me. And you know, you're raised, I believe, half black, half white as well. And you know, it's hard to take sides. How do you identify yourself, one? And secondly, what has been coming up for you during the pandemic? Because it's been overwhelming. I mean, I'll be talking to you and you might say something and it takes me back to a memory and I get emotional and I want to start crying. I've never been like that before. But even all of that is so powerful for me because I'm beginning to feel and see things that I've missed. When emotions come up, I'm a big advocate to collect yourself. Emotions and our relationship to death in this country are, I think, very misconceived and misguided. And I think that, you know, many of us grow up being told that, you know, crying is weak and that death is to be afraid of. And perhaps your connection to India is longing for you to deepen some healing that you have an opportunity to do. I traveled quite a bit before the pandemic. I was spending a lot of time in Europe in spaces and places that I was able to build great community. And I very much miss going there and those communities. And it's very different connecting through a Zoom or whatever. I mean, it's really great to be connected and see friends and talk about different global strategies that we wanna to continue to move forward. But there's something about being in the space, breathing the same collective air that surrounds you in that town, that food, that water, walking that footprint that you can't just get through Zoom. So I understand the longing and the desire. And I think that's beautiful. But I also think, too, that through meditation, we can take journeys that certainly can help heal a portion of our hearts that are in desire and longing to be in those places, just as they can, as I mentioned earlier about our relationship to death and people who have crossed over, to be able to tap into opportunity to converse and to be in those spaces, even when we are physically where we are. Not that I know too much about astral projection, but I do feel that we do have opportunity to access parts of ourselves in ways that we don't for fear of it or just because we don't know what that means or how to do it. Someone once said to me, because I'm a big crier too, and someone once said to me, you know, sometimes if you cry a lot, you're crying for those who can't. And I felt such relief and such liberation when my friend said that to me. I'll just let it out. Don't worry, I feel very comfortable with you. <laughs> I feel safe. So have you been learning anything since this? I mean, yes, I think we're missing the human touch during the pandemic, there's no doubt. Any particular main thing that you're like, wow? I think really gathering physically. I not only am a big hugger, so that definitely that human touch 
But the other day I was in a space where there was a lot of people and I felt like I had to leave. Even in the grocery store lately, my proximity to people feels uncomfortable and that's very different for me. I mean, I was always very aware of personal boundaries, <laughs> but I miss just gathering with friends and relaxing in that gathering and not feeling like, oh, can I touch the same thing as them? Or also, you know, when the pandemic hit and we were kind of still gathering a little bit, a lot of people just had so much judgment about people who were afraid. And, you know, like I had friends who came over who brought their own drinks and their own cutlery and their own everything. And I was like, you know, you do what you need to do to make yourself feel comfortable and safe. I have no judgment around it. I mean, I would ask them, do you want me to bring this? Because I'm happy to bring it, but I don't feel the need. Like, I believe that you washed the silverware. But I think it's given us a new opportunity. I'm doing my best to stay as positive as possible. There's been such a tremendous amount of loss. And again, there's, there's just been a huge transition for a lot of folks. But I think that when you really do more research and you really break down the numbers, I could be off, but I think that we every year lose a lot of people to the flu or to other things. I'm not suggesting that this is not horrific and that it hasn't been handled well. I'm not suggesting that. But I will suggest that because we expose ourselves to the media to be informed of what we need to know in order to what we feel is to survive, I think what also comes is a lot of misinformation or information that we're hearing in a new way for the first time that gives us pause to fear, perhaps, because we did not know that like the flu last year or the year before, there was also a tremendous amount of people who passed away from it. So I feel like we need to take this opportunity to examine what we're afraid of, really, and also to get the facts. We spent four years, at least, of really not getting the facts, which I'm hopeful has opened the eyes to many to suspect that have we ever and what kind of research and inquiry we have to do as individuals and as community to know the truth. And that's across the board. And it's happening everywhere. I mean, I'm looking at the emergence in Russia. I'm looking at the emergence with the farmers in India. There's something about whatever happens in the United States, the way it spreads and ripples out there in the rest of the world. What I've been surprised at is the military coup in Myanmar recently and what they're going through in a particular time where you see there's an energy now of balancing the scales of justice, so to speak. America is also showing another sign of empathy and inclusivity and diversity and working together in dialogue. And I know there's still this trace of this charged, very lower vibrational energy that is also still being given airtime. It's actually being given way too much airtime, if you ask me. Let me speak to that if I could, mm. though, because what you're considering as low vibrational energy perhaps is getting a airtime that is unnecessary. But I will say that we saw what it took for us to organize to win this election. That is the kind of work, especially as organizers, that we need to be doing on the daily. And we need to increase that now to get accountability because I'm feeling it even myself. I'm tired. I'm tired of this pushing and having to constantly push, but 
I think of our ancestors who pushed and pushed and pushed until they received what was needed, whether it was in their own lifetimes or after. And, you know, when Barack Obama became president, everyone thought racism was over, if we remember that. And now, very shortly after, we realized, oh, it wasn't. It was just hiding in a closet for a while. Do more inquiry and find a way to raise that vibration. So the energy that I think that is put into that space in that low vibration, we need as folks that I guess consider that we're functioning on a higher vibration, we need to raise the vibration of those who are at that lower space. If we want to even consider and conceptualize it as higher and lower, I'm not a big fan of that. But I will say that it's important for us to be looking at the entirety of our human existence and the human condition. And we have an opportunity in America to reconstruct how we move forward. There is an opportunity for this new space for equity. But because we live in systems of democracy and government, we need to hold our, I'll say, ambassadors of democracy accountable to give what the people really want. For us to hold them accountable, we have to look at our lives too, ourselves. If I'm accountable to carrying the big light, you know, carrying that quality of virtues and values in my own life. I mean, I've seen it in D.C. There are so many good people and they're being tested to maintain that, to sustain it. And the energy to basically turn a blind eye to that energy and to go the other way is a consistent banging on their conscience. And so sometimes when I see what's going on on the hill, I have an idea of what they're going through. I don't know if you saw my series called Soul Talk on the Hill, where I actually went in and interviewed a lot of these politicians. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I come with a neutral sense of self, just ask them questions like, what's your definition of God? You know, what is love to you? What is soul consciousness? When I spoke to them and I heard their responses, They're such beautiful people, but I think the influence of the energy is so overwhelming that sometimes they really need a lot of support to stay, you know, the high watch and stay, not get influenced in that particular realm of thinking. You're working Mm -hmm. activism and socially being so conscious, but also bringing in the entertainment industry is huge. Could you tell us a little bit about your organization and then the work that it's been doing? Sure. I'm the executive director of Sankofa.org, which is a nonprofit organization. We work with artists and thought leaders in partnership with grassroots organizations. We elevate, educate, and motivate artists and allies in service of grassroots movements. So we use art as a tool to bring forward messages of hope, shining a light on specific issues of mass incarceration and juvenile justice, immigration, income disparity, And we took on the overall banner of violence because we wanted to be able to respond to things that if we listed them all would seem a little all over the place, but not just war or domestic violence, but also eco-violence and looking at the climate crisis and engaging our artists and thought leaders in communities that are doing the work on the ground so that we can elevate that work and so that Artists have an opportunity to use their megaphone and their platform and their artistry 
for healing and also to raise awareness and consciousness. So we've done a lot of different kinds of things. We work in all artistic mediums and are excited about getting into all different spaces of the arts, whether it's visual arts or whether it's theater plays or films, documentaries, narratives, dance, music. Soon, hopefully, we'll be working with some chefs to talk about social justice stuff. Um, there is an, a group that I work with. We're all wide awakes. And there are people who are creating food trucks and just getting food together and going out and feeding people and artists who are creating music and bringing joy to protest and resistance. It's so important, Gina. I mean, even I'm taking up instruments again and trying to see if I even have one ability to sing just for my own healing, but to also create that vibration. Have you done anything after the insurrection? Was there any work that the organization was doing? Because I'm sure when you witnessed what you saw on January 6th, you were like, how do you respond as a person? How do you respond as an organization? Was there anything that emerged for you and the company after that? Well, you know, Sankofa is a Ghanaian word that means go back and get it. And so often in moments of crisis, I lean into the ancestors and my elders. And the insurrection, while egregious and sort of dumbfounding as I was watching it, gave me greater impetus to do the work that I do, not in necessarily protest of that specific incident, but the ongoing systemic racism that treats people differently. The coup that was trying to happen at the Capitol, the insurgents, they were not protests. Yet they were handled in a way that, for me, is the way protests should be handled, which is to do their best to move the people out of the way and to get them out of the way. Now, in protests with people of color, we see a very different engagement with law enforcement. And this is where I began to more deeply think about the work that we've been doing already for so long and how we can use this moment to amplify that work and hold our electeds accountable and to really delve into police misconduct and to the way in which law enforcement deals with people of color. I want to jump in right there. Don't you think that the messaging has come from the top because it makes no sense that the law enforcement departments would respond the way that they do. And it's a question I'm going to ask you. I don't think we might have the answer, but who do you think is giving the messaging out there to all of these departments around this country that whenever it comes on to, you know, maybe Black Lives Matter, that the response is different than what we saw on January right. 6th? And I was like, why is nobody doing anything? Well, sadly, I am not an historian, but I will tell you and for listeners that if you look at how the police department was conceived, you'll find all your answers right there. It's that simple. 
That's true, and I know what that answer is. <laughs> created you're right. to wrangle slaves and to pressure freed black people to re-engage in slavery. And so if you look at the history of what the police department was designed to do, it's still doing it. Mass incarceration, I mean, we have the largest prison population in the world, and it's for the most part free labor. So slavery, it was repolished. <laughs> I feel like it has a different <laughs> business model to it. It's actually not really that different of a business model, but yeah, it's still the same. It is changing though. How did you feel when you witnessed the inauguration and seeing what we saw on that day and that young girl, Amanda Gorman's speech and just everyone, mm -hmm. just the energy of the inauguration, what was flowing through your consciousness? How were you feeling? You know, again, what were your thoughts? I, I, you know, to be honest, again, I was so in the work that day. I actually didn't watch the inauguration until later. I was like, oh, right. The inauguration is on. I was like, oh, it was beautiful. You know, it was lovely. These are all lovely, beautiful moments. And so, you know, when I see Amanda Gorman give that beautiful speech and it's so bright and it's so hopeful, 10 minutes later, I turned to an old recording of James Baldwin. And I'm thinking, wow, we're kind of saying the same thing, but it's in a different way. You know, seeing Kamala Harris, all these things where we make advancement. I mean, I share in the celebration and the joy. I'm still in my Georgia joy that we never really got to celebrate with Stacey Abrams and Seufat and so many other young women of color in Georgia in particular that were on the ground that really helped shift that space. But I'm just like, okay, great. Now let's get to work. Like, it's not that I don't want to celebrate because absolutely I want to take time to celebrate. But sometimes people get the itis, <laughs> you know, after the celebration and they think that, all right, let's go. In some cases, there's even more lethargy there when we take a pause. So I think pauses are important. I think we do need to take time for healing and to reboot and refresh ourselves so that we can come to the work whole or as whole as we possibly can to also heal certain traumas that happen to us during the process of doing the work. But I will say that as wonderful as I felt, I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's hold these folks accountable now. We got them in. Now let's really put to task what we need for them to do. Our whole entire summer in the streets, protesting and amplifying the voices around Breonna Taylor and the moms of Tanya Rice and Trayvon Martin and Eric Garner and the list goes on and on. Oscar Grant, I mean, it goes all the way back. We need accountability now. I was elated that perhaps we can even uncover and reveal even more deeply the corruption and the need for us to completely redesign and reconstruct American democracy. Yes. So let's just say now, you and I have seen a lot and we've been involved with a lot of things in the world very intimately. We've contributed in whatever way to make changes and to create, I guess, a world that works better for all. We're witnessing there are a lot of issues and it can look like it's really enormous. Like, how do you really make changes here? If there was anything that you visualize or think of, how do you think we should go about making this change to create what we would call in Hinduism a Satyugi world, which is an age of truth or a golden aged world, or in African culture, we'd call it utopia, maybe. Like, 
what would you start doing? Where do we start, Gina? Well, I think generally, I think it starts with self and to begin to create a practice so that you can more deeply understand yourself and engage in nonviolence and in the practice of nonviolence, not just on the surface of what it sounds like in terms of how you relate to other people, but really even how you relate to yourself and to raise consciousness of self. And then simultaneously, as you're doing that work, to see and to ask yourself a few questions. What am I good at? What brings me joy? And how can I take those two things and be of service and sustain myself? And sustaining oneself is important living in a capitalist democracy. And so we have to find ways in which that we can sustain ourselves because then other things creep in, fear, anxiety, and other things. But we have to start with self and be true to ourselves. And sometimes healing one's self and sustaining oneself in a morally and ethical way is enough of protest and resistance in this society that we need. So I think people need to start with themselves and to find the real, honest, true ways to elevate their consciousness and find ways in which to be of service to the community. And there's so many ways to be of service. There's so many things all around us every day, especially in urban centers where someone needs help, whether it's feeding folks or giving folks shelter or helping the criminal justice system, helping young people find direction or hope. There's just so many places and ways. And if you're tired of here, there's places all over the world that need the exact same attention for usually the exact same reasons, greed and violence. It's so weird. I got some statistics, the millionaires. If they were to give a thousand or two thousand a month to everyone, they would still remain millionaires. Probably billionaires. Yeah. And I've thought about it. And I'm not saying that that is the solution, but let's say you go to developing countries, or even our own backyard, right here on K Street in Washington, D.C., there's a whole section of individuals who are living homeless, right here in the nation's mm-hmm. capital. And to be quite frank, I don't think they want you to give them money. I think people want opportunities to give them a chance for them to see what they mm-hmm. have in them. And there's some that I want to take because I feel takers get tired, givers won't. And so, you know, where's the balance here? The inner and mm-hmm. the outer balance. That's something that I think I really have been looking into in terms of what is the solution to the world's ache. It takes me inwards, but also upwards. I think recently I just hosted something at the UN and the theme was love of God, love of neighbor. When we talk about the energy of God, what comes to your mind? Who is God to you? How does God play a role in your life? Let me first say just this into that talk about giving everybody money. Andrew Yang, who's running for mayor in New York, That was part of his platform running uh, for the presidency. I think that would help. I mean, I feel like people can feel less stress is helpful. But as it relates to God or my relationship to God, I don't really have a definition. I mean, God is everything and everywhere. God is in every moment. God is in me. I am God. We are God. 
we have an opportunity through ancient and generational ritual and ceremonial practices to find a deeper connection to our relationship to spirit. I don't have a practice or a relationship to God where I practice each day. I know that I thank God a lot. <laughs> I believe in energy and a higher power. I feel that there may be some sort of cosmic energetic law that is God. I believe that karma is a way for us to more consciously tap into the concept and idea of spirit and God. You know, not growing up in a traditional religious practice, prayer for me is very soothing. And I think that when I meditate and am in service and really leaning in to listening and giving of self, the relationship that I have to spirit and to God comes clearer than when I'm not more intentional around engaging a higher consciousness and vibration when I'm just sort of walking through the world is my humanness, my human person. But I think that it's very personal, not in a, like a hiding way, but I feel like different people find different ways to access. I'll put it to you this way. I don't believe that I can do something that is immoral and do it knowing that God will just simply forgive me. But what I do believe is that doing something that is immoral or violent has the option through their experiences of self-reflection and connection to God, if that makes any sense. Question, Gina, because a lot of folks come to me and ask about this question. And when the insurrection happened on the hill, I met with a lot of various religious leaders, many of them that you hear on the news regularly, and we all mm -hmm. talked about it. And the only response that I could share was, well, when I'm not in remembrance and when I'm not experiencing that I come from that source of power, then of course I behave this way. And I think that we're at that particular point where we either have to keep reconnecting to the source of light and power that we are made of and come from or not. And that's just what we're witnessing right now. And I think it's just my wish that we return to good. If you don't want to talk about God, then let's talk about good, you know? Problem about good versus not good. It's like men wrote the Bible and men continue to interpret it in ways and teach it in ways that to me are not very godly-like. Yet people are indoctrinated into beliefs that they walk through the world with because they've been told that that's God and that's what God wants. Yeah, but everything is changing now. You can see it's opening up. People aren't accepting God yeah. as a religion. They're not looking at God that if you're Jewish or Christian, then you definitely know God. There is something very mystical and very powerful happening that I feel that people are now connecting to a more spiritual, intimate relationship. I had a wonderful conversation with one of my dear buddies, best-selling author Carolyn Mace, and she has a new book out called Intimate Conversations with the Divine. 
And basically, it's just this whole conversation of when you go in and you're really honest and truthful and sincere, you will tap right into that energy. And that energy will govern everything that you need to do in this incarnation. And I think if we all do that, the world would be a better place. I don't Absolutely. question that. Right. Agreed. And I will say this about the insurgents, that, you know, a lot of people talk about balance. When I see something like that, that to me feels bad, evil, cruel, I think of what it's countering. So I believe with you that there is an emergence that's been happening for centuries. And now in our lifetime, perhaps we are seeing this last grasp of evil, <laughs> shall we say, because what is washing over us is an overwhelming sense of love and spirit. And the quote unquote evil we will next have to actually deal with will not be mankind's inhumanity to man, but really look at man's inhumanity to nature. Because I think when we get rid of accusing other people of things, if we can heal our societies in a way where we don't need to do evil things to each other, we can then really see how we're doing evil to the planet. Because that will be where the next balance and course correction will come if there is always a balance of good and evil. It's never but. easy to talk about good against evil, <laughs> light against dark, but yeah. we get what you're saying. Your audience knows exactly yeah. what you're saying yeah. because that's just who yeah. we are. As we come to a close of our wonderful time together and the intimacy between the both of us, I want to do a little thing that I do sometimes called spiritual fire. I basically mm -hmm. introduce one word to you and you have to tell me in one word the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? Mm -hmm. On your mark? Get set, go. Soul. Love. Peace. Love. Heaven. Clouds. America. Beautiful. Gina Belafonte. Awesome. There you go. Isn't that easy? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. It's been a delight to have you on air today. And I'm just so glad, you know, as horrific of the times that we've endured in terms of lives lost or transition of souls to move into other bodies or just all the drama that America has been through, especially in the last year. One of the boons, one of the blessings has been to encounter and meet folks that normally we wouldn't. And you're one of them. And I thank you for that. Thank you for your love, your service, and your time and energy. And to be continued, when I come out to LA, I'll give you a chat and I'll come over and make you some Indian chai. And we'll just sit and talk mm. for hours about life. <laughs> love it. That would be great. All right. Lots of love. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Hi, everyone. It's Sister Jenna from American Meditating Radio. I hope you've been enjoying Wisish, which you can get live on Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube from 8.30 a.m. to 8.45. But you can also get it on demand 24-7. It's going to be your power boost for the morning. It's your daily dose for the soul. It's just going to encourage you to make the day that much more valuable. So join us. Looking forward to seeing you.
Jenna, you've been listening to America's Dictating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.